So, uh, I'm excited to say, I'm excited to see you guys here. I'm excited that we came out on Christmas Day. I know there's lots of things to do today and family to see, but I can't think of any other more appropriate place to be as the body of Christ, worshiping Him on this day that has been set aside to celebrate His coming into our world. So, Merry Christmas. Uh, And appropriately, this morning we conclude our series through Luke chapters 1 and 2. We're just going to verse 20 and 2, which I've titled, appropriately, The Christmas Story, right? This morning we'll continue our look at the good news that surrounded the birth of Christ. The good news the angels brought to the shepherds. Last night, Christmas Eve, if you were with us, we saw five aspects of that good news. If you are using the notes in your bulletin, I have filled out all the blanks from last night. Let me just read over those. Quick review. That was the first 10 verses. We read the whole passage. Dina did a great job doing that. Thank you. So the good news first was uh, of God's sovereignty. God was in control of the birth and life of his son. He moved an empire to make sure Jesus would be born in Bethlehem as the prophets declared. And God is in control of our lives as well. The good news was then announced, and the good news continues today to impact our lives. Second, the good news was of God's humility. Jesus was born and lived a life of humility. God the Son, the sovereign Lord of the universe, humbled himself and became one of us. And we are to follow his example. We're called to be humble servants as well. Third, the good news came to the least. The shepherds, the least in their society, were the first to hear and to see their Savior. By this, God demonstrated that the good news is available to all, to high and low, to rich and poor. And fourth, the good news destroys fear. By sending His Son to die for our sins, man's greatest fear, death, has been conquered. Emmanuel, God with us, God became one of us. God died for us. What do we possibly have to fear? And finally, the good news brings great joy. The good news is so good, it causes exuberant, heartfelt gladness, happiness, joy. But it's also so profound that it can bring joy even in the difficult times of life. Those are the five aspects of the good news we saw last night. Now we come to five more. First or sixth, The good news is for all people. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. You know, some people believe that the first time uh, this thought of all people, of Gentiles, of of, uh, this going beyond the Jewish people came in Matthew 28, 18-20, which we call the Great Commission where Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations. Some people think that's the first time we're told the gospel, the good news is for all people. That up until that point, it was, it was for the Jews alone. But right here, at the birth of Christ, the angels make it clear the good news of great joy is for everyone, for all people, Jews and Gentiles, you and me. So if you've ever wondered why Bridges Church sends and supports missionaries, 
why we have a missionary of the month, which is the stalls, by the way, living in Spain, working in North Africa, why over 20% of our budget goes to the ends of the earth ministries. This is why, because the good news is for all people. Now, this doesn't mean that all people will accept, receive, believe the good news, but it does mean that all people should have an opportunity to hear the good news. The shepherds heard the good news from the angels. And speaking of angels, how many of you have seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? I know it's Amber's favorite. (laughs) Just kidding. I love the movie myself. It's my favorite Christmas movie. We watched it at least once this year. I don't know. I used to force, I mean, invite my children to watch it every year. I, I just realized I needed to get started on my grandchildren. But even though the movie is awesome, it does have a theological problem. Maybe the movie has more than one theological problem, but one that I'll point out this morning that has to do with angels. In the movie, uh, angels are portrayed as people who've died. Clarence, George Bailey's guardian angel, was once a man. Now he's an angel trying to earn his wings. But this is not an accurate portrayal of angels, just in case you get your theology from Christmas movies. Uh, Angels were created by God as angels. They were never human beings, and human beings, sorry, will never be angels. Okay, so we have that important bit of theology straightened out. But there's one very important, uh, important way that angels and people are the same. And it has to do with the fact that the good news is for all people. One of the important things about news is that it must be communicated. In fact, is news really news if it's never spoken, if it's never communicated, written, verbal, however? And since the good news is for all people, then it must be communicated to all people. The angels started the process. They were the first messengers of the good news. In fact, the word angel means messenger. Remember, Gabriel took a message from God to Daniel back in our studies of Daniel in the Old Testament, Zechariah and Mary in the New Testament. And this group of angels comes with a message of good news, of great joy for all peoples. They they announce it to the shepherds, though. And like these angels, we're also called to be messengers. Messengers of the good news to all people. To the church in Corinth, Paul writes, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are God's messengers, his ambassadors, his representatives. What is an ambassador? Well, with regards to nations, an ambassador represents one country to another. The U.S. has ambassadors all over the world representing our interests. And in a very similar way, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are Jesus' representatives. Our job as those who know Jesus is is the same as the angels. In fact, we have a word for that job, for telling others about Jesus. We call it evangelism. Have you ever noticed the word angel is right there in the middle of the word evangelism? The word evangelism means to proclaim 
And it relates to the word angel, which means messenger. Messengers proclaim they bring news. After the shepherds hear, hear the message for the, from the angels, and after they go and see the child, they provide a great example for us to follow of what it means to be a messenger. Verse 17, And when they saw him, saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. Once the shepherds heard and experienced the good news, they shared it with others. For them, the good news was so good, it could not be contained. And maybe this Christmas, the best gift you can give to those who haven't heard it or don't understand the good news is to be like the angels, to be like the shepherds. Be messengers and tell them the good news that's for all people. You don't have to worry, is this news for him or for her? It's, it is. It's for all people. The gospel, the good news is to be proclaimed to all because seven, the good news is of a Savior. This is the good news of great joy for all people. Verse 11. I started to love verse 11. This is the first verse uh, my grandson David, who's four, he memorized this verse for their Christmas uh, play. He was really excited that the verse had his name in it even. <laughs> for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. This is not only good news, but it's the best news we could ever hear. The Savior has come. The Savior has been born. The Savior has entered our world. Emmanuel, God with us. But we can't talk about Jesus being a Savior unless we talk about what He saved us from. So what did, what does Jesus save us from? Anyone? Oh, I don't know why I have to speak. You guys know all the answers. Sin. Not the happiest topic on this Christmas morn, right? But it's the topic. I mean, without it, uh, in a real sense, sin caused the need for Christmas. Here's the bad news that caused the need for the good news. Because of our sin, we were eternally separated from God. And because we are sinners, by nature, there's no way we could bridge the gap. There's nothing we could do to bridge the gap between God and us. This might be, from our point of view, the original no-win situation. But God. Again, the two greatest words in the human languages. The good news is God Himself provided us with a Savior. One who saves us from our greatest need, from our sin. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel makes this clear to Joseph. No arguing here. She will bear a son. She, Mary, will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior, to save. For he will save his people from their sins. People want to receive Jesus, believe in Jesus, for a lot of reasons. Because he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He's a good example of love to follow. He, he, he gave us that golden rule thing, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
And he's, he's all those things. But if we don't receive him as the one who came to save us from our sins, then we do not receive him at all. We don't believe in him for who he truly is, what he truly came to do. Now, when we say he saved us from our sin, what do we really mean? Do we mean the same thing God means? I think we need a little clarification on what it means that Jesus saves us from our sin. There are those who want Jesus as Savior from the penalty of their sins, but not as a Savior from their sins. What do I mean by that? They want to be saved from the consequences of sin. Hell, separation from God, eternal torment, the wrath of God, however you want to term it. That's what we, we want to be saved from that, and we do, and that's fine. But we don't want to be saved from the pleasures of sin. For the author, uh, for the author of, he, of Hebrews says that we know by experience that we can choose to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Right? Sin is pleasurable for a season. But if you don't want Jesus to save you from the pleasures of sin, if you don't want Him to give you a new and deeper set of pleasures, pleasures that come from an intimate relationship with Him, then you don't want or you don't have Jesus as your Savior. The Apostle John understood this. He wrote in verse 8 of 1 John chapter 3, Whoever makes a practice of sinning, is of the devil. Wait, what? I, I just sinned yesterday. But it wasn't a practice. It's not a planned out thing. We sin on a regular basis. We don't live up to all the things God calls us to. None of us, I believe, loves the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength every moment of every day. So we sin. But what he's talking about here is a lifestyle of sin, the continual practicing of sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Sin. Jesus came not just to forgive sin, but to destroy it. If we try to receive him as sin forgiver and not sin destroyer, we don't receive him at all. We don't believe in who he truly is. We're making him something different than he came to be and is. The good news is that Jesus Christ is a great Savior. He will save you from your sin. He will save you from the penalty of sin. But he will also save you from your bondage to sin. He'll save you from the fleeting pleasures of sin. We need to be saved from the, the fact that we think sin is pleasurable. And he'll do this by giving you fullness of joy in him. But to receive this good news, to receive this Savior, we must receive him on his terms. It's a, it's a package deal. The good news is that we can and must receive him as a sin forgiver and a sin destroyer. And there's another thing we must receive him as. The good news is not of a Savior alone, number eight, the good news is of a Lord. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Yes, he's the great and mighty Savior, but he's also Christ the Lord. Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah or anointed one. He's anointed by God to save. The Lord refers to one who has the power to rule. God did not send Jesus as our friend, although he is. He didn't send Jesus as our helper, although he will. He sent Jesus Christ as our Lord. He sent the one who will save us from our sins, Messiah, but he also sent the one with the power over our lives. The good news was never for Jesus to come only to save. He came to be our Lord. He came to rule our lives. Some people uh, want to uh, accept, believe they can accept, just a portion of the good news. Yes, of course I'm happy for Jesus to be my Savior, to save me from my sins, and usually they just mean forgiving his, their sins. But this Lord stuff isn't really what I'm after. I, I have to be me, by the way. He can save me. He can make sure I go to heaven. But I'm going to remain in control of my own life. No one's going to be my Lord. And just so we're clear, uh, this is not an option. Jesus did not give us an option of taking only part of his offer. Again, it's a package deal. Jesus is Savior and Lord. Not Savior or Lord. Not Savior and maybe Lord. And Lord. I wish there was like one word. Savior. Save Lord. You know, it's just one deal. He's the sin-forgiving, sin-destroying Lord of our lives. And I do want to make one thing very clear. We would all agree, I think, that the fact that Jesus is our Savior is good news of great joy, right? No hell. I think we, we sang Noel, no hell. I like that, that. No hell, no hell. All right, that is just great. But, I need, uh, but it needs to be said, the fact that Jesus is Lord is also good news of great joy. This is because of the kind of Lord he is. Having a Lord is not always a good thing, but having Jesus as your Lord is a great thing. You see, there are different kinds of Lords. We see this illustrated in the famous uh, Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. Most of us are probably very familiar with the story, so I won't go into a lot of details. It's been made into a number of movies, if you haven't read the book. Anybody read the book? I've read the book. It's good. But I prefer The Muppet Christmas Carol. It's my favorite version. The story centers, all the stories, I'm not going to talk about The Muppet one. All the stories, Dickens' stories, centers around Ebenezer Scrooge. A heartless miser who rules over, he lords it over people, especially his employee, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge is uncompassionate, uncaring, and unloving towards Cratchit. For Scrooge, Cratchit is just a tool to help him gain more wealth. But that all changes when Scrooge is transformed by the visit of three spirits, Christmas past, present, and future. He vows to change, and as Dickens puts it, he remains true to his word. He becomes a better man. He becomes a better boss. Yes, he is still Cratchit's boss, his lord, 
but he no longer views Cratchit as a means to an end, but as a friend who he cares for and he helps. So do you think uh, Bob Cratchit found it easier to submit to Ebenezer Scrooge before or after the transformation? Once he knew Scrooge cared for him, I think it was after. Once we know our Lord has our best interests at heart, submission becomes a joy. And this is the kind of Lord we have in Jesus Christ, one who loves and cares for us, one who wants what's best for us. And not only that, but one who has the power to accomplish what's best for us. It's nice if someone cares for us. It's great if they love us. It's great if they want what's best for us, but they may have no ability to help us at this point or that. But God, the Christ, has every ability, every power to accomplish exactly what we need at every moment. We have a good and powerful Lord, and that is good news for us. And there's more. The good news is for God's glory, our ninth aspect of the good news. Verse 12, to the shepherds, the angels say, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels say, glory to God. What does that mean? What does it mean to, that God is glorified? The word glory means to honor, to praise, to worship, to declare the greatness of. The angels give us a great example of what it means to glorify God. It means opening your mouth and praising, honoring, worshiping God. Why? Because He sent His Son. God's Son, a Savior, Christ the Lord, has arrived. The angels were glorifying God for this wondrous event. And later in the story, we see the shepherds following their example. Remember verse 17, we, we read that the shepherds made known the statement which had been told them about this child. How did they do that? I believe verse 20 gives the answer. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds glorified God by letting their world, letting their world know that God had provided a Savior that Christ had come, that God was with us, Emmanuel. To glorify God is to tell the world the great things He has done. For us, it certainly means coming to, together uh, and worship together, joining our voices together to praise and honor the Lord and our Lord and Savior. But it doesn't start and it doesn't stop on Sunday mornings. We truly glorify God in our world when the people we know when the people we know know that, that, that God, that Christ is the most important thing to us. The people in your world know that you love Jesus. Do the people in your world know that Jesus is the most important thing to you? Do they know you, you couldn't really live without Him? Do they see the difference in your life that He makes? Do they ask you, why are you so different than others? And when you, like the angels and shepherds, share of the Savior who came and the Savior who has changed your life, God is glorified. And the word goes forth. If this Christmas you want to give God 
the very best you can give, then give Him glory. Give Him glory this Christmas morning as we gather to honor Him coming into our world and give Him glory throughout the week. Maybe later today when you're with family and friends as you make His glory known in your world for the good news is for God's glory. And finally, the good news is for our good. It might seem redundant or obvious, but I want to be very clear about just how good this good news is. Remember I mentioned earlier that humanity was in a terrible situation. Because of our sin, we were eternally separated from God. And because we are sinners by nature, there was no way that we in ourselves could bridge that gap between God and man. But, but it's worse than that. It wasn't just us on one side kind of neutral and God on the other side gap. Oh, if only there wasn't this gap. We were not only separated from God, but we made war against God. We rebelled against God. We were in rebellion against Him. Paul says that we were His enemies. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. What a horrible, terrible, awful, dreadful, really bad situation we were in. Can there be a worse situation than to be the enemy of the all-powerful Creator, not only of the universe, but of yourself? To be an enemy of the one who made you, your Creator. But the good news changes all of that. The good news offers an end to war, rebellion. It offers a, an olive branch to the enemies of God. The good news offers peace with God. But peace for whom? Or who? Whom? Who? Who cares? Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. So, you got to please God to get this peace. Peace among men on whom He is pleased. Yes, the good news is for all people. It's to be carried to the ends of the earth. But only some will find the good that the news offers. Only some will find peace with God. The angel says peace will come to those with whom He is pleased. So, we better know how to please God. Right? And that's a question or a dilemma that man has asked from the beginning of time, has thought about. Uh, the religions of man are based on this very idea, this very thought, this very question. How can I please God? How can I get God to do what I want Him to do? Or what can we do so God will be pleased with us? Maybe if I do the right rain dance, I'll please Him and the crops will be saved. Maybe if we build the right kind of altar. Maybe if we make the right sacrifices. Maybe if we die for His cause. Maybe if we give enough money. Maybe if we go to church every Sunday, including Christmas Sunday. Maybe if we live by the golden rule. Maybe if we read our Bibles every day. Maybe if we pray enough. And the list goes on and on. The list of ways we think God will be pleased with us. But there's really only one way to please God. 
the author of Hebrews tells us, quite simply, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, not faith for faith's sake, but without faith in God, without believing in God, without believing the things that we've just talked about, it's impossible to please God. Therefore, it's impossible to have peace with God. Without trusting in Him alone, without surrendering everything to Him, without believing that it's only because of Jesus Christ crucified in our place that we can be saved, without forsaking all our human efforts, it's impossible to please Him. You can't add anything to faith by faith alone. We can't overstate the importance of faith. Martin Luther makes that clear when he said, God, our Father, has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. The good news of great joy must go to all people. Everyone must hear the good news that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord to the glory of God the Father. But the good news of great joy only brings peace to some. Those who have faith, those who surrender to God. Only those who receive Jesus as their Savior. Their Savior from sin. Their sin forgiver and their sin destroyer. Only those who submit to Him as Lord. Only those who seek the glory of God. So this Christmas morn, I would encourage you to receive this good news that we've talked about. The gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, that you might experience great joy. Joy because Christ became one of us and that Christ died for us so that we might have eternal peace with God through Him. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank You again for Jesus. Lord, for without Him, we would, as we've seen, be in a terrible state. We would be Your enemies. But because of Christ, we've been set free. We've been released from the bondage to sin. We've been released from the penalty to sin. And we have you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for your coming, for your entering into our world in humility, for becoming one of us, that you might give yourself as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Thank you that you've taken away our sins. And I, I just pray for any out there that, that who has yet to to trust in you, to put their faith in you as their sin forgiver and sin destroyer, the Lord of their life. Lord, I pray that today would be that day. They would turn to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you want to stand with me as we get into